Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode seven of Dudes Being Dudes, the podcast presented by Knocking Point Wines and our friends at Studio 71. For Andrew Harding, I am Stephen Amell, and I'm solo today. That's what happens. I'm in Atlanta on the East Coast, Dudes on the West Coast. I've got a lot of fun and interesting and exciting things, things happening with Knocking Point right now and some new elements of the company that are going to be coming into view over the next weeks and months. Exciting elements. In fact, very, very exciting. Our new box that came out with Amel Beck and KDH and oh my God, why am I blanking? Oh yes, our F Cancer wine are out. I'll be talking more about those and doing some videos with those once I have them in hand, but I don't because again, I'm in Atlanta. So Drew's doing stuff. I'm solo today with a guy that I've been listening to for a couple of years now. I first heard of John Middlecoff through Colin Cowherd because I've listened to Colin Cowherd's podcast. I was just thinking about this for probably like the past 17 years. He's been doing a national radio show. I've always liked Colin's takes, and a couple of years ago, on that feed, he introduced us to this guy, John Middlecoff, out of uh, out of the Bay Area, who has a similar show to Colin. Um, you know, he does a really cool job of talking, like I'm talking right now, but for like 55 minutes at a time, which, my friends, I can say, as a performer, is really hard. It's really, really hard. You have to create this character and you have to be outsized and you have to be incredibly animated. And yet you're only going to get a foothold out there in this crazy entertainment landscape if you are authentic. So sure, you have to be outsized. You have to talk loud. You have to hit your points. But you also have to be authentic. And I think John really strikes a nice balance with that. He also is an, he's incredibly good at a really well-timed F-bomb. Really, really good. And talks a lot about how, you know, with football, sports, with whatever, but professional sports, business, what have you at the highest level, it really comes down to, did you fucking win or did you fucking lose? There are winners and losers in life. And he does a good job of getting to the bottom of that. Now, it's just in sports, but I like his takes on business. Uh, he's a big Tiger Woods guy. And we talk about that later in the pod, but I'm interested. He uh, worked in college football for a little bit, worked in the NFL as a scout, and then got into radio. Um, got reprimanded by the Oakland Raiders. We talk about that a little bit. Just really just an overall good guy. He's um, now one of the featured players on The Volume, which is Colin Cowherd's podcast network. So you can check him out on that. You can check him out on the Volumes YouTube channel. And um, I'm sure that you're going to be seeing more of him over the coming weeks and weeks and months. I, I get the feeling that he's going to pop somewhere. I don't know where, but somewhere. Probably YouTube. Probably somewhere where he's not tethered to anyone because his opinions are not hot takes and they're not incendiary. They're just brutally honest and they cut to the point and <laughs> being direct doesn't always work best for some people, especially executives. Sometimes, not always, not the ones I work with, but some. 
I am really nervous right now. I'm recording this on Monday evening. It's 20 after eight. Just going to eat dinner. and I'm going to go to bed in a second because I start shooting my second season of Heels tomorrow morning. And the night before I start something new, I get nervous. It's like the first day of school. So part of me recording this podcast with John earlier and doing this now uh, was a way for uh, a way for me to selfishly keep myself busy because I'm nervous, nervous and excited. We've got a great story lined up. Cast is here. Uh, the folks at Lionsgate and Stars so supportive. We just did our big table read, and it's still on Zoom, which sucks, but whatever. And um, all the important people from Stars were there on the Zoom, watching, paying attention, making notes, being present. It seems like a simple thing, but it's not. And uh, it's one of the reasons that I'm so proud to work on this show and to work for this studio and network and why I'm nervous because I feel like this is a, well, I know what my goals are and I'm very excited. So without further ado, um, for Andrew Harding, I'm Stephen Amell. This is the Dudes Being Dudes podcast and this is Mr. John Middlecoff. Right when the pandemic started, I went out to Palm Springs and Drew was back in LA and we started doing like a daily chat sort of thing. And, but we were talking about our business a lot and then that turned into a podcast and then we got away from it because of scheduling and now we're just slowly bringing it back. What's the, yeah. the wine business? Yeah, the wine business. Do you, I got to send you a bunch of wine. So we run Knocking Point Wines, which was, is, it's a winery based out of Walla Walla, Washington. You told me that. I'll have to shoot my address. I'd love to get some wine. Oh, yeah. No, I can, we can get you some wine. So you, but yeah. you're, a, you're, you're a NorCal guy. Where do you go to wine country in California? <clears throat> I mean, if I'm going to go, I usually Napa. You know, I'm, yeah. I, I live probably, you know, like downtown Napa. I'm probably, I mean, no traffic, 40 minutes away. Not even. Oh, really? Yeah, That's close. Nice. Cool. Yeah. So yeah. So we did a podcast for a little bit, and now we're just now we're just bringing it back. And the original iteration of it was uh, called essentially like "How'd you do it?" Because we like to talk to people and become inspired and things like that. But this is more just shooting the shit, talking with interesting people, stuff cool. like that. You talk all day, every day for a living. It's what I, you do. Yeah, I do. So how often, like how long are you spending in your chair? Are you in your office right now? I'm in my office, yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I work from home. So, I, you know, I get up between, you know, during the week, probably 6, 6.30 and just mm -hmm. go right to the coffee and boom, right in here, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so it's, all right. Uh, no commute. For the people who don't know, our guest today, say our, my guest today is John Middlecoff. John, I'm excited to actually go through your story because I only know what you 
mention on the podcast, but John is the host of the Three and Out podcast, the Go Low podcast, and is it Haberman and Middlecoff? Is that the third one? Yep. Am yep. I missing? Am I missing any? No, it's <laughs> a lot of podcasts flying around. I haven't actually listened to the Haberman and Middlecoff one. What's that one about? Well, basically, you know how I got into the radio podcast space is a mm-hmm. good friend of mine from from high school who uh, I actually had lived with when I worked in football and I was a I worked at Fresno State before I got to the NFL. He had gone to Fresno State <clears throat> and was hosting radio shows there. And then when I when I moved back to the Bay Area, he was hosting a radio show in San Francisco. So when I got fired in the NFL, I started doing radio stuff with him. And then we eventually had a radio show for like three years in San Francisco, which obviously, you know, in this area talks a lot of 49ers. Mm -hmm. And then we left the radio, you know, the business and radio changed so much and podcasts and streaming and stuff were blowing up. And, uh, I mean, long story, the reason we left radio is because I, uh, you know, in radio, you do business partnerships in, in sports radio with teams, mm-hmm. right? That's how you, you know, if you're in New York, you want the Yankees or the Knicks or the Giants. Sure. You know, if you're in the Bay Area, you want the Giants or the, or the or the 49ers. Well, this radio station that we worked at was kind of this new startup. So they had the A's and the Raiders, which aren't okay. a great radio product. Okay. And obviously, I'm a football guy. So I was doing a lot of stuff with the Raiders. And eventually, I got on their post-game show. Mm-hmm. And we had a radio show Monday through Friday that was doing really well. And then on Sundays, I would host their post game radio show, and they were losing a lot. So it would yes, they were. You know, the the ownership and people involved would hear me after, and it would be pretty critical, and they didn't like it. So we we started butting heads. And as you know, I'm you know I'm not one to like I can't fake it. You know, and and so we just I fell out of favor with them. They gained some more juice, and they forced me out. And then guy kind of followed, and we just did a we just started our radio show as a podcast and we've just continued it and it's been successful. And we, uh, we, it's probably a little different than it was as a radio show. Cause you talk baseball and some warriors. Like we basically just talk 49ers and the NFL and football. And we, we mm-hmm. still talk some Raider stuff, but, uh, and then obviously Colin, you know, it's, it's a national podcast and I just, you know, talk about whatever. And the golf sure. podcast is just, I'm a big golf guy. So I said, well, shit, I mean, it's a, I think the ceiling for golf, you know, is is pretty high. I love to play. I love to watch it. I love to gamble on it. So we, that was just kind of an idea I had to add that on. So we just added that on throughout the week during the golf season. And we're just the best part about you know the, uh, I would say the internet space and, you know, you you've seen this I'm sure acting wise right like it just it has opened up so many avenues and there's just yeah. so many things that like I, this wouldn't have been possible a decade ago i would have had to like get back in radio if i wanted to talk mm-hmm. but now it's like mm-hmm. you can host like, i don't know if you've seen like pat mcafee has a show that he does on youtube and it crushes yeah, yeah. you know i mean you, you can just you, there's so many different avenues you can do and you know if people like you and obviously you get, it's you got to figure out ways to get in front of new people to always grow but if you have a base mm-hmm. to begin with like they will come you know, they'll come forever. It was like, like in the Bay Area, like a big radio show would be because that's where the Giants and the 49ers would play. So people just naturally came there, whether you mm-hmm. were good or not. You know, I'm, we have some talent. We've had some talented people here in the Bay. But for the most part, it was like you would just get listed. Well, that's not the case anymore. You know, we have people right. have so many options. Like, remember, I mean, how old are you? 40. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm 37. We're similar age. Like when we were mm-hmm. kids, like. 
Seinfeld or Friends or whatever. Like a big reason I think they were doing Mash and Cheers and these shows doing enormous yeah. ratings. Well, there weren't that many channels. Now they <laughs> no, were good were. shows or whatever, but it was like no, when there's only five channels. Like my dad, your dad, every person's gonna watch the show. Well, now yeah. it's like there is no television show on normal, you know, network television that sniffs those numbers. And occasionally, no. like you see some of these streaming numbers, right? Because well, once it goes viral, like everyone watches. I, yeah, I don't know. Pick a big show, right? Everyone just mm-hmm. kind of gravitates toward it. So it's just, it's just changed the game. And I think audio is kind of similar to television that way. With it's just you can carve out niches and and be really successful. You don't have to have like forty million people watching like Seinfeld or Friends to have a right. successful venture, right? No, you need little armies like they have in the movie 300. Like you need your people that are John Middlecoff sure. fans that are going to like, even if they don't like golf, they're probably going to check you out in the Golo podcast. And, and, but I mean, they're, they're your people and you brought them there. I'm curious though, because we're going to, we're going to get to the landscape of, of, uh, of the industry eventually, but I'm curious, what do you have to do? to get management angry with you when you're doing post game for a Raiders for the Raiders or talking about them during the week. Like they just lost the Bengals 42 seven. What are you supposed to say? Well, I would say in in pro sports, I think this would happen in the NBA baseball Mm -hmm. and football. When you're in business with these teams and the irony is like you're, if I'm a host, Right for ESPN or even like a radio station, we're paying them. <laughs> we are paying them to be partners. They're not paying us, so we're paying them. Well, then they also want you to be very positive. Like mm-hmm. they're very, it's bizarre. It's they're just very sensitive. It's like, well, hey guys, everyone just watch you lose by thirty points. <laughs> you're one in ten. Like I, you want me to pretend you're like the 07 Patriots? You know, it's it, it's yeah. really it's bizarre. And I think. I don't know if this would happen like uh, on like CNBC with companies. Like y- you can't tell me everything's rosy if you just had a quarter where you lost five hundred million dollars, right? For right. Sports, it's like it's very black and white. You either win or you lose. And when you're really bad, like it's pretty clear. These teams and these owners, they get very very sensitive, which to me mm-hmm. is kind of stupid. Like you're making money either way, you know. Yeah. Now I, I think they view it as like their product. It's you know it's after their game. I you know they just. It, it, the Raiders were not, I mean, they're, they're not alone in this. I mean, it happens mm-hmm. to different people in different cities. It, it's, it's a tried and true thing. Like if you're going to be associated with the team in these broadcasts, they expect positivity, you know, it's, they, they really do. Or it's where I figured out, like, I'm not a great, I can't be associated in those situations. Cause it's not, it's, mm-hmm. I, it's, I'm not, it's, I'm not physically possible to fake it. And because right. I think everyone knows when they're listening, they're like, well, "This people don't like it." You know, I no, you can, I, I no, think it's look, a terrible you, product. You you can tell that because even if a person is good at faking it, and you don't know what you're looking for, you're always going to notice there's a little bit of them being disingenuous. Like it just doesn't. Yeah. It's the, it's the same with acting. Like sometimes you'll see actors in a scene, and if you know the behind the scenes, maybe those two don't get along in real life. And inevitably, in a scene that they do, there will be some chemistry just missing. Now, I know the backstory, but if you're watching it and you don't know, you're just going to think that something about the scene doesn't pop or it doesn't go where it could have gone. And the same goes for if you're trying to, if you're trying to, you know, what's the make chicken 
something out of chicken shit, whatever that expression is. Yeah. If you're trying to, if you're trying to be, if you're trying to be fake after the Raiders get the shit kicked out of them, um, yeah, I, I get that. I totally get that. What? Why would I always hear that 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 franchise was cash strapped? Was that a thing? Yeah, because I. There are certain teams in the NFL, not as many anymore, mm-hmm. that, you know, when these, the ownership bought the team, you know, in the 60s, right? Yeah. Or the 70s. And at the time, relative to American companies, probably still expensive, but nothing near what they're worth now. Mm-hmm. Well, some of these people have separate businesses, right? Like Stan Kroenke in LA is a real estate yep. mogul, uh, you know, uh, Paul Allen, who owned the Seahawks until he passed away, was you know a tech guy with unlimited money. Mm-hmm. You see David Tepper that owns the just bought the Panthers, paid cash, is just like an all time great Wall Street trader. The Raiders were b- purchased by Al Davis, who was a football coach. Yeah, now he was a New York kind of cutthroat mobster type who knew how to get what he wanted, but he did not have a lot of money. So as the team, as he you know, over the years, like he didn't do other businesses. Like he was not, he was a football guy, football guy, football guy. He wasn't also like, well, he also owned 50 in and outs and like seven hotels. Like, so his only revenue was the team. And I, I, you know, one thing the Raiders always battled, at least in the Bay area was like, they played second fiddle to the 49ers. I mean, the 49ers were just the powerhouse brand here. and, And that meant like the economic resources of companies, which obviously we have a lot, it's like mm-hmm. LA, right? You're going to go to the Lakers over the Clippers. Uh, and football is a little different than basketball. Like the Raiders are still making money, but it was all based on the team. So it just became complicated for, they just didn't have the money that a Jerry Jones or a Robert Kraft right. did some of these people had. So, but now have you been to see them in Vegas yet? I have not. I mean, the place looks phenomenal. Looks like a, you know, it, looks got, like a, it looks like a good fit. Well, it's a great fit, right? Raiders, Renegades. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the other thing that they got is, you know, it's probably one of the only cities in America where they just they just created a billion dollars for them because Vegas is a little shady, right? They just yeah. voted. Oh, we'll just do a we'll just do a room tax. Yeah. And it was a, they were in a like Stan. Stan paid six billion dollars for the LA Stadium, right? Paid it. Wow. Yes, he did. So the, the Raiders needed help, and they get went to a place that really wanted them. Vegas is, mm-hmm. you know, pro. They'll just like we'll, we'll make up the rules, and it's just the brand fits, and it's they desperately wanted a team, and it feels like a huge win win for everyone involved. Well, you'd hope that they're you'd hope that they're eventually going to be good, or I mean, they went to the playoffs this year, but I don't think that anyone has really felt like they were going to win the championship for the past several years. But the thing that I noticed was. When they announced the schedule for the NFL, I went and looked at the secondary market and the highest single, uh, the highest single prices for games in the upcoming season. And number one was Brady going back to the Patriots, and I think six out of the next seven were Raider games in terms of average ticket price in the secondary market because the Chiefs were coming into town and the Bears were Denver. coming into town and KC's coming into town and everyone just goes to vegas i mean yeah it, well, it's, an, it's an more- easy one right if you got if you yeah. if you if you live in denver you're like well let's take four buddies let's go let's go yeah. set <laughs> yeah. you know thursday night let's take a couple days off work and just have a weekend out of it and that's yeah. where they're really which is good you know they're they're never gonna have a problem selling out the the problem is is you know it's it's gonna be a pretty neutral site and you could argue, like, as these stadiums become as remarkable as they're becoming, they become like a, a tourist attraction. 
Yep. You know, I mean, I think we saw that with the Rams, right? Like I went to that week 18 game against the Niners. It was 55%, maybe 60 Niner fans. Part of it is like, obviously it was a big game, but it's like, it's yeah. a good excuse to check this place out. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it, people were giving the Rams a lot of shit for those two games. And listen, it's it's like the 49ers have won five championships. They have generations of fan bases, of, fa- of fans, a lot of whom are in California. You want to come down and check out SoFi. It's their first chance to do it. And you had a lot of Rams fans there that were like, including myself, like, well, we might win the division. We might not. We've made the playoffs. No big deal. Every 49ers fan that was there was ready for war. It felt like. Well, th- well th- and think about this from just an economic standpoint. Mm-hmm. Let's say, hypothetically, I paid $5,000 for my season tickets for the year. Let's, let's use, let's use $10,000. So I paid $10,000 for the, the eight home games. Yeah, I think you got to pay for the preseason games too, but you're paying really for those eight home games mm-hmm. and then the right to buy playoff tickets. Well, that game, the, the prices, I mean, I paid a I think I paid twenty three hundred dollars for three seats. So if you could make a quarter to thirty to forty percent off one game on the money back, you're like, well, yeah. we're going to the playoffs anyway. You know, we know we're going to have a home playoff game more than likely next week. I, yeah, I, I don't blame anyone ever for selling their tickets when they can four or five exit. Now, if yep. it's like part of if you're being a season ticket holder, like if you have the chance to go you know, to the NFC championship game and then you sell it like, cause you can kind of justify, well, it's a lot of money, but like, don't you buy the tickets? If you are a true fan, if you're just doing it for entertainment, like then, yeah, you're going to make, if your team's good, you can make a lot of money doing it that way, which I, you know, I saw it very lucrative in LA. Yeah. I saw it with the Kings in 2012. The Kings finished eighth. They were the last team in the playoffs and they just absolutely ran roughshod over the rest of the league and went up yeah. 3 nothing in the finals. And game four was at home. And we had season seats at the time. My cousin and I were sitting a bunch, a, around a bunch of people that had had seats for the Kings since they got there in 67. And everyone sold their ticket for game four because they were going for an extraordinary amount of money. And everyone had just unexpectedly paid for four rounds of playoffs. Thankfully, for the people that sold their tickets, they lost game four, they lost game five. Everyone came back in game six, and they they won the cup that night. But, um, yeah, it was really cool. I, th- I think it also depends, like, let's say the Yankees were in a World Series or a huge game or the Lakers, and their fans, uh-huh. you know, if you've been a season ticket, you've been a season ticket holder for a long time. It's probably – it's partly about the money, but it's partly about, like, I'm a diehard – if I'm 50 years old, I've been a fan of this team for 40 years. Like, I'm going to these games. Sometimes when you get – like, the Rams, they've been around a long time, but they've just moved back, right? They haven't mm-hmm. – it's not like they've been there for 40 years. If they do this for, like, 20 years, you're going to find people have a lot of loyalty. Like, the 49er fan base – when they hosted the NFC championship game a couple of years ago against the Packers, nobody's selling their seats. Like it's a big no. deal to be in that game. That's why you buy the tickets. But when you have some of these new teams, you know, or just like the, the movement of teams or a team mm-hmm. like randomly come out of nowhere, it's like, it's, I, I completely understand why you would, you know, try to make five X your money. But it is fundamentally different when your team wins the championship. Like if the Rams want to yes. have, if the Rams want to have lifelong fans, you've got to win. Um, you know, I, I growing and they up did, in and Toronto, they did it and they did you know, growing up in Toronto, the difference between now the Raptors were becoming a big thing, 
but they won the title in 2019. And now it was just back there shooting a movie. Everywhere you go, there's there's Raptor stuff everywhere. It used to be in Maple Leafs Town, a Blue Jays town, and it still is to a large extent. But y- you, if if you win the title, you make an impression and you create those fans for generations. But I well, was just I, amazed. I think winning's cool. People yeah. want to be, you know, yeah. mo- the majority of people are much more casual fan than diehard. So when you win, it's I've seen it with the Warriors. I mean, the Warriors kind of had a niche fan base around here, and they started winning championships with Steph and Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. They are just a behemoth, right? Because people, mm-hmm. the casual person just likes it's like Amazon, Apple. Like if those companies were not as big, we wouldn't talk about them, right? right? I mean, just people like just that's why the Yankees became the Yankees, right? People like winners. You know, they say they don't, but they do. They do. Explain to me the temperament of the 49ers fan base, though, because when we see San Francisco, and I know they play in Santa Clara now, but you think, I don't think of a very rabid fan base. I think of a more sophisticated NorCal crowd. The 49ers fans, they're really aggressive. Like, they, like some of them have hate in their hearts, I felt like, when we were at that game. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think you just, you know, they're, there's like double the amount, I think, in, in LA than up here, but there's still, mm-hmm. you know, 10, 12 million people when you got the greater Bay Area. And I think you would include SAC. The majority of human beings are not like rich Silicon Valley millionaires, right? That's Most true. people are just hardworking, normal people. They are the majority of the fans, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. I, I think it gets a rap just because we have Silicon Valley and some high end fans, and it's, like LA, you can see like the front row of of any of the games, whether it's a Laker game, a Warrior game, a Niner game, a Rams game is going to be a. I would say Southern California, they're more famous. Like our millionaires, yeah. like you don't know who they are. They're just like, oh, that guy's worth seven hundred million dollars in stock <laughs> options of a tech company you've never heard of. <laughs> right. But th- that he's not the majority of human beings, and you know I think the Raiders always got this like they always you know the Raiders have this like tough fighting crowd. I, the Niners. Have much more, have many more blue collar fans in Northern California than the right because they just have more fans. Mm-hmm. So the majority of human beings are just working class people, and that is kind of their fan base. So it's just, it's got the high end guy who's, you know, worth hundreds of million dollars in tech or banking or whatever, but it also, they got the market cornered. Like mm-hmm. to me, the Niners are enormous. They're, they're the biggest team up here just because of the history, right? It's football's the biggest sport. Yep. They've been, you know, Joe Montana won his first Super Bowl in 1981, and they've, I mean, it's 2022, and they were just, you know, a game away from the Super Bowl. So it's just they've had now 40 plus years of general, you know, probably my dad was a diehard fan. You know, he was yep. in his mid 70s. I'm, you know, 37, and you know, there's people between us that are 50, right? So, we, and then there are now younger people that have just kind of seen the Kyle or maybe the Harbaugh. So it's back to what we said: you win, you win in in sports. That's how you build your business of just people gravitate towards you. And when you're in bigger markets like LA, San Francisco, Chicago, Dallas, New York, you have way more people than some yeah. of the smaller markets to really build it around. Kind of crazy that we're coming up on 30 years since the 49ers won a Super Bowl. Yeah. Which is it's hard to win. You know, what's just it shows you. I mean, it it is it's easy to like not easy, but like to put good teams together in any of the sports, it is hard to win the championship. Mm-hmm. 
it's mm-hmm. it's very very. I mean, the Niners have been close now two of the last three years. Yeah, they were beating the Rams in the you know in the second half of that game. Now the mm-hmm. Rams were it was weird because they were out playing them. And two years ago, they were winning the Super Bowl with five minutes left against the Chiefs. Yeah. And it just, I think it's like anything in life: the margin for error at at the highest level of whatever you're doing is really really small. And in sports, when there's like a finite clock, like if something flips, all of a sudden, if it yeah. if it happens at the end of the game, you just don't have enough time to like reverse it. Well, we we can we, we're continuing to dabble around sports. You started working in football at Fresno State, is that correct? I actually, when I was an undergrad at Cal Poly in San okay. Luis Obispo in like Central California, I, I was uh, when I was like an under when I was going to school, I just got involved just because I was. You know, I was a business major, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I wasn't necessarily like driven by money. So it's like I, I didn't really, I, I knew that I couldn't do a job that I didn't like. I, sure. I have not like, I'm not some brilliant guy that can just overcome being kind of bored and just figure it out. Like I, I have to be motivated to enjoy what I do. So I love sports growing up. And then once I got to college, like I wasn't playing anymore and I kind of missed it, right? Like partying mm-hmm. and just hanging out. I, I felt hollow. So I kind of got <laughs> back involved and uh, I, I just kind of, I enjoyed it and kind of scratched my itch. And then it just kind of snowballed and I went from Cal Poly to Fresno State okay. and then from there to the NFL. So it just, it was, it was not like something that I, I had this grand plan. It was mm-hmm. one of those things that I knew I had to work in sports as a, as when I was young to kind of like uh, to enjoy what I did. Cause I knew that was going to be the, my best chance to be successful. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then it just kind of took off, and I just kind of rode the wave. And when you're breaking in, you're breaking in as a scout. When I went to col- when I worked at college, yeah, I mean, I did. I worked in recruiting, which you know is okay. basically scouting in college. Sure. The difference. And then from there at Fresno State, we had a lot of you know the scouts come through. So one of my jobs was dealing with them, and uh, you know they're coming in for information. You set them up to watch your players. You're just kind of a liaison to them. And so I got to know, you know, oh, every you're team like, sending guys in. You're kind of like a traveling secretary for scouts, a little bit. It, 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 100%. And you have a okay. bunch of information that they want. So it was just like, uh, I, I got to meet like every guy in the league. <laughs> so oh, cool. it was a pretty, and it kind of opened my eyes like, because uh, I did like business. And one part about college that's much different than the NFL is like, in college, you know, in foot in, in the pros, it's all about football. In college, like you also have to like, you know, the football program pays for the volleyball program. And, you know, if the football program is gonna get this, you gotta share it with this. It was it's 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 unique that way. Mm-hmm. Even though it's changed, I would say it's in the last decade, it's you know, Alabama doesn't have to worry about that. But at Fresno State, sure. you did. <laughs> sure. Okay. And uh, and I just remember seeing how like you can cut guys in the NFL. Cause like when we got it, when we'd have a bad player, you're just stuck with him in college in the pros. I love the mindset of like, you can cut this guy, you can sign this guy. You can always just, you know, kind of put the piece of the puzzle together. It's like, I want in on that. So I remember early on when I was at Fresno state, like I wanted to work in the NFL. I thought it was so cool watching these guys come through. Mm -hmm. So I basically just spent two years just kind of focused on how do I get there? Um, and I really enjoyed my time at Fresno State. Was awesome. It was fun. You got to travel with the team and you know sign recruiting classes. And Derek Carr, my fir- first year, we signed him. He was already committed, but obviously he's you know starting quarterback in the NFL. We had a bunch yeah. of guys that played in the NFL, so it was 
incredible kind of to like learn the craft before I got to the NFL, which was, you know, so it was a lot going on there too, but like the, Mm -hmm. the, basically it was, you know, I went to college and I got an undergraduate degree, but I got like a master's in football at Fresno state that Mm -hmm. prepared me to like go to the league and give me a chance to, to function. And And it was still hard. I mean, it was, it's just an intense, crazy environment that you can never really be prepared for. You just get thrown into as a young guy. And are you still able to sit down and watch 10 hours of game on game games on Sunday and take notes and understand that you have to talk about this and seem like you're making salient points, but can you still enjoy football when you're watching it? I suspect. Yeah. I mean, yes. I, yeah, I, mean I, I, there's an element you do, but you're, you're mm-hmm. always thinking about it from, you become a little numb to it because it's like, you know, the way I make money. You know, it's. I still enjoy it. I, I have so many friends in the NFL that I get to talk to, and I still enjoy the business aspect of it, the the drama of like who's going where and the free agency and the draft stuff. But you're you're. When I was like twelve or fifteen or twenty or even when I was at Fresno, there was a purity to it. Like you just loved sure. it. It was the NFL. You know, it was like what I loved when I was a kid. And then you work in it. And then you become you talk about it. And it's just, it's just not the same. But there there is mm-hmm. still definitely a joy to it. I, I watch football all fall. Uh, I obviously talk about it, you know, for a living. But mm-hmm. it, it is different. You know, I, I I say this all the time. No matter what you do, even if you quote unquote live out your dream, life become like you become an actor. Like people are like, damn, that's so cool, and it is. Like I mean, for me, it's like I, I pick your brain about that all. But you, once you become it, it, it does become a job, right? You're mm-hmm. shooting a show or shooting a movie, like. There are times and there are things about it you don't like, and there are things about it you like. Even if you are passionate about it, and you go, "God, I, I, I'm good at this," and there's nothing else I'd rather be doing. But it's just there's a human element of anything when you're when you're doing it for money. Mm-hmm. And the older you get, I think you just think about things a little bit differently, which is which is normal. Which is not like I, I don't have like resentment or anything toward it, which is good. You don't want to. I think a lot of times, you know, especially with sports, you get people that like do the. I don't really view myself as media, but I think you see sometimes in the media they get yeah. they get almost angry toward it, which mm-hmm. is I, I don't ever want to get like that. If I ever did, I would do something else. Are you worried that if the Go Low Pod becomes incredibly successful and and lucrative, that the fact that you'll be making money from golf is going to take away some of your enjoyment for that? Yeah, my relationship with <laughs> golf and football is a lot different though because okay. I get I get That's to play fair. go I get to play I get to play. Sure. You know, it's like. I, you would never be like, hey, you know, I, last week I was at Lambeau. I, I played this uh, tag football game with, you know, 22 people. But it's like, you know, when I, I went to L.A., I played L.A. Country Club. Like, they're going to have the U.S. Open there next year. You know, I, I played Olympic Club in the Bay Area that's hosted major tournaments. So it's just the relationship with the sport when you can actively do it. Like, I could go throw – if I, had, you know, had a buddy outside, we'd go throw the football. But it's not the same as, like, playing football or playing baseball. Or, mm-hmm. You can play pick-up basketball, but you can't really play football. Like, once you're done, whether it's high school, college, or the pros, like, you're, you're never playing football again. <laughs> no. No. Um, I'm curious. Unless you shoot a football movie, then you would get to – you know, I could, you know what? I could see I'm, you being, like, a linebacker or a, a receiver or something. I appreciate that. I'm actually, look, I'm actually looking into – I'll, I'll – I'll talk with you about it online, but I'm actually looking into a football movie right now. I got to do I, if I'm going to do it. I got to do it when I'm. Like well, yeah, 40, now's your time. Yeah, I, now's think, my I time. think it'd be like a free agent signing. <laughs> you know, you still look young too. Like we just signed this 33 year old star tight end. That's it. That's it. Hey, so listening to um, obviously people are going to equate you and Colin Cowherd together because a lot of people know you because 
and I know you because your podcast just came on his feed. And yeah. I, I did I, I did my due diligence and my my duty and subscribed to the feed uh, separate you. you know as I listened to you I appreciate but that I noticed that that Colin I mean he does a segment Colin right Colin wrong and I I noticed the same thing too where you don't seem to have any difficulty whatsoever moving off a point if you feel like you whiffed on it or something like that concurrently you do take some positions where it's you're almost long on the positions. Like it might not bear fruit right away. Noticing right now, you're just saying that you're out on Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. We don't have to talk specifically about football. I'm curious. Do you ever, when you're watching the game subconsciously or just maybe just a little bit root for your position? I would say when I first started doing that, I did. You know, Kyler, when you're long on a position, like when you're long on a quote-unquote take. That makes sense, right? The way that I put that? No, 100%. Let me... Okay. If it's a a short position, like I didn't like the guy coming out in the draft. Okay. At first, you're kind of, you know, you want to be right. But then if it's clear, like you're going to be wrong, like who cares? Like I'm not... I don't get judged on being right or wrong. I I Mm. remember Colin... Who basically like you know I'm I'm his biggest fan. <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah. I, I listened to him forever. Was like I'm not in the credit business, right? He doesn't get he gets ju- paid to entertain. Mm-hmm. And to me, it'd be disingenuous if I said something and it's clear I'm wrong. Like I'll pivot. Cause I, I play the stock market. Like if you invest in a stock and then the, mm-hmm. the company goes under, like you better take your money out or you're gonna lose it all. But if you get long in a position, and I think Colin is an expert at this, he's doing it based on people he talks to in leagues. And then he also forms his own opinion. Like he takes positions on Russell Westbrook or Aaron Rodgers over time. He believes that to his core. Like, and it's yeah. it's based on his gut instinct of just being doing what he does. It's based on people around that guy. So when when I'm going to place a long term bet, I, I, it's almost a very very educated bet. When I just have a random take, it might just be off. Like I watched the guy play, I didn't like him that much, and then you know a couple years later, it's like ah, I was way off on that one. Because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not that tied to my my quote unquote take or my opinion. Like my opinions are fluid. You know, in, in sports, it's a people business, so things are constantly changing. Life constantly changed, right? It's like mm-hmm. you know, 20 years ago you had to be on radio. Now I think radio's dying. Like 20 years ago, I would have said, "Well, you better get a show on ABC or NBC." Now I'd tell you, right. like, stay away from those. Like Netflix, right. Hulu. You know, it's just right. like thing, things change. Now, if you took a if you took a stance. You know, that was like um, your long term stances can also be wrong. Now, you're going to write it out a little bit longer if you truly believe it to your core, right? It's like be the equivalent of like you get married, you believe you're going to be with her forever, and you're going to stick out that relationship a little bit longer than just a a fling. But like after three or four years, if you realize this isn't working out, like you eventually (laughs) have to pivot or you're just. You're kind of going, you know, and people listening might not like skip Bayless with LeBron. Like LeBron's good, bro. Like it's it's you missed. Yeah, <laughs> you know you don't have to you don't have to hold on. And I, I'm not into that. Like I don't I don't care enough. Like I'm not. Like I, I'm fine with being wrong. I'm wrong mm-hmm. all the time on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So now that you are with the volume, which is the podcast network that Colin Cowherd started up. You're doing your pods. You seem like you're gaining more and more attention. I see you making some appearances like on Colin's show and stuff like that. What are the next steps? Is there a next goal? Or are you just trying to continue to build up the podcasts right now? 
You you know it's I, you know some people I don't know how you are personally are are big you know writing down goals you know depends you can listen to the Tony Robbins of the world they're hammering mm-hmm. at home I, I'm goal oriented as a very ambitious person but I've never you know maybe some short term goals like six months or something but I think in what I do it's very difficult to be like you know in three years I I want this I mean things have changed so dramatically since I started doing this in the last three or four years that I just want to host a show that a lot of people listen to and like, and I can make a lot of money doing and I enjoy doing. And you know, it has all these variables that I'm looking for, but I can't, I don't have like, I want to be the biggest show in America until you're like, I'm not necessarily thinking like that, or mm. I need to do this or that because I mean, things I didn't even think YouTube was that big of a thing five years ago. Mm-hmm. Right. Or I didn't think, you know, podcasting would wipe out radio five years ago, or you know, you just who knows? And in, in five, TikTok didn't exist like three years ago, and now That's it's right. bigger than you know, like Twitter and Instagram. So it's just, I, I think it's harder to to be like that in this space to have specific things because of the changing landscape. I just, you know, it's, it sounds cheesy or cliche or whatever, but I'm really just kind of focused on the short term, keep doing good stuff. I, I've been that's been my mindset. It's been successful. Um, you know, the last three or four years. So I'm just going to keep kind of keeping my head down and keep, keep rocking and rolling that way. Do you have an agent or representation? Because you strike me as someone that just keeps their own counsel. I, I used to, I mean, I did for a minute and then, mm-hmm. uh, this guy actually went back to the NFL. He was representing like coaches and some, mm-hmm. some media people. And then he left and then I realized, like, I kind of, I, I enjoy the business element of stuff. That's been something I would say in my 30s. Like, in mm-hmm. my 20s, it was just sports, 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 sports. And as I've gotten older, like, I enjoy doing deals. You know, obviously, like, anyone in life, that kind of starts smaller. And then if you have a little more success, they get a little bit bigger. And I like negotiating, you know. And, uh, you know, you have to have, you know, I'm, I'd be naive to think I know what I'm doing 24-7. So, you have a couple mm-hmm. people to run some ideas off of. But I've negotiated you know, my other podcast, we own it and we negotiate all of our ad deals and through the volume, I negotiated the deal again. Like I'm dealing with Colin and we've had a very, you know, sure. It's not, it, it's not, I don't feel it's like gotten contentious or whatever, uh, you, you know, with his, you know, representation that I've dealt with, but it's, I, I, I've really enjoyed that. Now it hasn't, you know, I haven't negotiated a Joe Rogan, you know, Bill Simmons level contract where, you know, <laughs> then I would pay a lawyer or something, you know, at least to look at some stuff, but, so lawyer, all, hey, speak. All you need is a lawyer. Straight up, I got a good one. Well, Don't worry about it. I've always thought like uh, I've had a lot of uh, respect for some of these play, like Richard Sherman and some of these yes. guys that negotiate their own contract. Uh, and knowing some guys was the 49ers are like, yeah, we, we he wouldn't have got any more money whether he had a lawyer or I mean an agent or not. And you just you know you have you pay a lawyer a set fee, a hundred grand or whatever if you're doing a twenty million dollar contract instead of paying the agent, you know. 3% on that yep. contract when you would have got the same money. So I think some of these players and obviously they, they do play a role depending on what your industry is and depending mm-hmm. on if they can get you bigger stuff. Like I'd have no problem paying someone 10% if they got me something that I could not get on my own. But mm-hmm. in my experience, that's never happened for me. May, in you, I'm sure in, you know, in, the, in your industry, it could be, it's definitely different, but so far for me, I have not needed one the last three or four years. Well, because it's, the great thing about YouTube is that it's a meritocracy. I mean, your view count is right there. Sure. There's no way to hide it, fudge it, move it all around. That's the that's the one thing that networks really, really don't want. 
networks go to great lengths to hide the number of people that consume their products. Why do you think that is? Because they don't want to they don't want they don't want the people on those shows to know how much money the really successful ones and by really successful I don't necessarily mean the Seinfelds that had you know 90 million people watch the yeah, last yeah, episode yeah. the thing about Seinfeld that makes it valuable is the number of episodes they completed you know friends did 10 seasons that more than its cultural rev- relevance and you know the spot in the cultural zeitgeist makes it relevant because when you take that giant library and then you're starting to sell it to international territories that is where huge and ginormous unthinkable amounts of money are and the, the office has the number of episodes the sopranos has the episodes like you want mm-hmm. the amount you know 70 80 100 episodes that's where the power of the of the business is. That's why the network throws a party when you hit 100 episodes. They they throw you a party to get you a cake. They fly everyone. But out. like they, like in your business, could you, you the wrestling show? You, you know, it stars, right? Yeah. W- would you have got that without representation? Like they're not calling you, right? You need like in, in your business, an agent does play a huge role to get an you in agent. Front of people. Obviously, an, your your name was big by then, but. So I was lucky. I got that via an offer and I don't think it would have mattered who my agent was, although I was with CAA at the time and they they packaged that show, which means that they represent a certain number of people on it. So it you don't actually they don't actually commission you when they do it because I think they get some sort of a package deal. And I I don't know. Which the- which which happens a lot, right, on some of these HBO Showtime shows. It's like the same crew of three, four, five people are all involved in the show sometimes. <laughs> I've noticed that just as a viewer. That's that's it. I mean, these big agencies, what they really want to do is they want to package something because you've got a hot script. Well, you can give it the director, but if you're going to give it the director, why not give it a bunch of people from your roster? And yeah. pepper it with those producers and those writers, and just basically front run the entire thing. Um, yeah, no, I would have, I would have gotten this, but when I got Arrow in the first place, I was with one of the, I was with one of the smaller agencies in town, and I was the first guy to go in for the part. And I remember there being some uh, a feeling amongst the producers and the director that they wanted to get me in, have me test for the studio and the network and get me approved before some of the other big agencies started sending along their clients. It's almost as though the bigger agencies are having the conversations and making a lot of the decisions before those decisions reach the general public. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're just, they're, they're, they're handling the levers of power, but yeah, you get what, what a good year? Look. What 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 year was your first season of Arrow? Twenty twelve. What channel was that on? CW. See, so, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is up in the Bay Area. I probably should. I've read enough commercials. But see, I, I didn't even I didn't know it existed until Netflix put it on, and I would imagine that changed your life, right? Yeah, it it did because I go places in the world where you like you cannot even believe it. Like I went to an island in French Polynesia called Morea, and I think on that island, probably eight out of every 10 people, regardless of age, gender, you name it, knew exactly who I was. It's 
it's unreal. And that's because of Netflix and the popularity of the superhero genre and all of those things. Well, I think it shows you the most powerful thing, I think, in, in any entertainment industry is the distribution ability. And that's, you know, 100%. Netflix, the amount of eyes that it gets you in 100%. front of, no different than me being associated with, I could be doing the same show that I've done and done on three and out for years and I could have a hundred people listening, but I get with Colin, he puts me on his feed and it changes, you know, mm-hmm. my life. It changes the, you know, the, the people that hear me that never would have. And, you know, from you to, I've had a lot of just people in different industries, but specifically, you know, the sports, whether it's be players mm-hmm. in football that listen to Colin, whether it be executives that reach out that, that I've just been able to meet through them that would not have happened without the distribution platform, which is, you know, a absolute game changer. It's how, you know, I, I, maybe it was 2000, maybe it was over COVID. I just might've been a year before, maybe it was 19. What year did Arrow get put on? Cause I think you guys got on a trending. I just remember like I, I banged through like 30 episodes. Like, God, this is, a, this is an easy watch. <laughs> well, it depends, right? Because new episodes would, new episodes would pop out. It is an easy watch. And, and the thing you get too, when you, when you binge it is you realize how formulaic it is like that opening scene with the nondescript criminal that's happening the 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 recap of the previous week's events and on ongoing stories that's happening and then we're going to solve the puzzle solve the crime and you know move along the story it's amazing how that stuff works but yeah we like 170 sure. episodes um yeah so i'm curious are you being yanked towards television at all or are you guys thinking with the volume that you'll do something like they did with the mcafee show yeah, I mean, I just I we do stuff on YouTube. The YouTube channel's growing. Uh, I you know I, I don't even think you need to anymore to be honest with you. Yeah, like I mean that's I think you see regardless where you stand on on, on the Rogan thing. I, I think the reason, especially people in the media, get so angry mm-hmm. is because like when I was a kid, if you wrote for a newspaper, everyone had to read you. If you were on ABC News, everyone had to watch you. Well, those days are over. Joe gets mm-hmm. eleven million people to listen to an episode. Yeah, I mean, CNN has has four hundred thousand people watch their their news channel, right? So it's the power now of the people because we have so many options. Like Colin has more people listening to him than half the shows on ESPN have watching, right? right. So it's like you know the 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 power of the platforms has been redistributed. It's changed. It's 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 the 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 formula. Yeah, the formula has changed because I think the individual person now, if you matter, they'll cut, they'll come to you. Doesn't matter mm-hmm. whether you're on a podcast, whether you're on Fox, or whether you're on Netflix. Now it helps. That's how you have to get discovered sometimes. But once you do, and once you have a huge audience and people really like you, you, you can kind of go wherever, and then and they're coming. And mm-hmm. I think that's you know the the old school in my business, like quote unquote, the media stuff, like you just had to be for one of the big publications and you'd have millions of people watching. Well, that's just not the case anymore. No, it's not. You know? So it's like I, when I was a kid, if you wanted your sports information, you had to get the newspaper, the local sports section. I, I can't tell you the last time I got a hard copy of a newspaper. I used yeah. to love the Toronto star sports section. I had all the stats memorized. I was so, but, but every, but everyone in our generation did because that was 100%. the only place you got it. And then there are going to be kids now that are 10 years old that would look at you like, what are you talking about? I don't right. think my daughter knows what a news, if my daughter knows what a do- newspaper is, it's because she's seen it in a, like a Disney movie from the fifties. How old is she? She's eight. Well, I mean, my, my, my brother is a son who's, just turned like two. He's about like two and a half now. Some okay. of the shows they watch and some of the powers of, you know, 
the these YouTube shows of like uh, I forget the guy's name, but it's just like the goofy <laughs> little kid stuff. The amount of money those people are making that w- that, that didn't exist when we were kids, you yeah. know, just and now all these different areas. It's just change. I, I think YouTube is really just going to continue to you know just change the game because that's where everyone's whatever you want to be watch is going to be there. You know, in terms of like the podcast sports stuff, you know, and, and no different with you know. I think for you have a show. Well, can I watch it on YouTube, Hulu, or Amazon Prime? Mm-hmm. Right. You can watch mine on Amazon Prime. That's important. well. That's that's all that matters. Okay, I got I got three quick questions for you, and then I'll get you out of here because we kept you a little bit longer. What's it like working with Colin? He seems like getting to listen to his podcast, which is not his radio national radio persona, but more just seems more more him, more down to earth. He seems like he seems like a guy that's interested in elevating other people. Yeah, I mean, I'm a um, living proof. Uh, and I think, you know, I, I it was crazy is, you know, we don't live in the same town, so I don't even, he just lets me be. I mean, he's just let me do my thing. <laughs> We've never had any issues. <laughs> it's obviously gone well, but it's like, he'll call me sometimes and pick my brain about something specific in football, like have as a question, then we'll start bullshitting about other stuff. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, like we don't, I mean, it never, he just, you just do you. <laughs> and it's just, he's been awesome. I have so much admiration because he's had so much, you know, success obviously as a, you know, probably one of the biggest sports talk guys ever yep. in America and yep. you know, he's in his mid 50s, he's he's got a ton of money. He doesn't need to be doing this, right? And I mm-hmm. think this is why I've, so many people always like them. He really is entrepreneurial. He's ambitious. Like this is this is you know, obviously he can have more success, you know, make more money doing this, but he doesn't have to do this. Sure. But he's given all these people these platforms. And part of it, I think he's he's smart. He know he sees where everything's going. And like, you know, if you don't have an established place to hear you, you know, you, you could become irrelevant in five years. And mm-hmm. you know, I'd say the best successful people in any industry are always progressive that way, right? It's not always going to work, but they're always willing to try new things and they're not, mm-hmm. he's clearly not driven by money because this is, you know, he's investing into this, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, this could fail. Uh, it's gone well, right? But, I, you know, just to dive into something brand new when you have a well-established career is, I, I, have, I admire anyone who's willing to do that in, in any business, let alone establish people that only have really stuff to lose, uh, mm-hmm. than really what to gain. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's a stud. I mean, I've been around him a couple times and you've gone down to a show and just kind of, uh, like shattered him for a day. Just the way he treats like all the people behind the scenes that no one would ever see. You just, you know, you hear some of these horror stories. I'm sure, you know, in Hollywood, you've heard them for years, right? The way people treat you off camera and he is, he couldn't be any more down to earth and nice and just normal, you know, like, you know, quote unquote diva for really famous star people. He is as normal as, as any human can be when it comes to treating people, which is, I mean, I don't know. I don't know that many famous people in like, you know, Hollywood or star like sports casters, but that's clearly a thing that not everyone is like that. But I'll tell you, not everyone is like that, but the people that have longevity, um, it, it, the through line are just good they, people. They're just good people. You, you can't like anyone, you take someone, you take someone who's like the biggest star in the world. If that person has proven to be an asshole and it's not an accident, 
then that person, it doesn't matter if they were at the height of the industry, they, they, they peter off. Meanwhile, there are other people that, you know, just are always around. Like find a, find yeah. someone to tell a bad story about Tom Hanks. It doesn't exist. People just love the guy. Just love the guy. Just love yeah. him. I'm it, curious. It, it, well, think about this. It's not, it's not very hard to treat people well. You know, and and part of it is like how you were raised. I mean, I was raised in a situation that you 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 know, it's one thing to like treat like your future boss or you know whoever you're around that's above you. I guess in a class, we were yeah. raised. Anyone below you, if you, I would have got smacked. I mean, the, the little people in life, you just you do everything to treat people that you know that can't quote unquote help you. You know mm. that. That to me, you're just either kind of a, especially once you hit a certain age, like you're just a scumbag or you're not. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'll, I'll tell you one thing that I, I, I always try to treat people really well. But I got a reputation in my first, second year on, on Arrow. I didn't treat anyone with, with any type of lack of respect ever. But I was overwhelmed. I'm young. I've never been in a leadership position before. I'd never worked this much, not just on this job, but on anything. And I was gripping a little too tight and I would get short tempered and it would never be directed at anyone. But it's it's amazing. We're talking about a very, very short snippet of time, maybe the first season to season and a half of Arrow. And then I finally started to figure out how this entire thing works. And that reputation from that small period of time when my behavior could be called somewhat questionable sticks with me to this day. And I know that it does because whenever I work with people now, after a little bit, they come up to me and say, you know, Hey, it's, it's really nice to work with you. And it's nice that you're so chill and easy going because, you know, I had heard a thing or two. And I always say, yeah, not from anyone that I've actually worked with though. Right. And they go, yeah, no, it's just sort of conjecture, but it, this is my theory you said it's easy to be, you know, it's, it's really easy to be a nice guy. It's way, way, way harder to be an asshole. Because if you're going to be an asshole, you better be an asshole all the fucking time. Otherwise, you're just, uh, you're just a poser. You're just, you're, you're just playing a character. Like, if you're really an asshole, Why, and then, I, then dig into it. But if you're not, I mean, it's, it's hard. If you're going to be an asshole, you got to be an asshole well, and, all the and time. If, and, and, if you're not, and if you're not... And someone tells you, like, man, people are saying some bad things about you. That's going to rattle you. It you does. Know? It like, always Whoa. does to this day. And then, and then you day. think, and then you think about it, and you just look back. You're like, whether you were immature in the sense of you're just so focused on yourself, you're not thinking about other people, you're overwhelmed. Mm. And then you look back and like, the rest of your life, you're cognizant of like, listen, we're all humans. We can have bad days or bad moments, mm -hmm. but just other people, just treating other people well. Like, you know, it's not always about you. Which, which I've always been admired, like these young star quarterbacks, <laughs> they just come in the league and they just know they just can handle everything. Like at yeah. 22 years old, like Peyton Manning, yeah. like, how, how do you just, everyone's relying on you? Like, how do you, it didn't, I, I never even started thinking like that till I was like 35 years old. Like, you know, you got to make sure, take care of everyone around Christmas. You got to be nice to this guy. You got to treat this guy a little bit different than treat this other guy. He's, he can handle the, you know, being aggressive with that. Some people just know at a younger age and it's. I do think it's an acquired skill and something you have to actively think about. But if if you do take pride in like, listen, I I have high standards or whatever, but I am not a dick. I want to treat people well. I want people to be like, I want to work around this guy. I want to work with this guy. I want to be around this guy. Like, that's something I think about. You know, mm -hmm. 
I don't ever want I agree. to be like, this guy's an asshole. I mean, and unless I want them to think that, and it, yeah, I mean, and some people you don't care, but for the most no, part, it's, like it's you right, know, that's right. <laughs> uh, hey, so I'm listening to all of these people give you recommendations on on shows like on Hulu, and I found it funny when you mentioned that you had Hulu for like a year and a half, and you just realized that it had like a bunch of original programming and stuff like it's that. Got some good, it's got some pretty good stuff. It does. When you said that, I realized that I had never checked out a single piece of their original programming. So I'm going to do that. But I have a YouTube recommendation for you, which What's is that? just just go and type in solo cabin build. All right. And you're going to find a bunch of different videos that are like two hours long of like dudes going out in the wilderness in Sweden and just building a log cabin f- over the course of like 18 months. It is eminently satisfying if you're trying to like chill out and relax and weirdly addictive. Are, are they like, you know, shirt off in the freezing cold? Like just no, crazy no, 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 it's, no. It's just, it's just a guy that like wants to go. It's a guy or a gal or a couple that want to go off grid and they document in almost like a time-lapse form them building up like a cabin and they do it from nothing just with what they have on hand. You, you watch any good shows lately? my wife and i are trying to get into yellowstone when i'm prepping for television what i think so far is i think that it finds its footing i like the i like costner i'm a big costner fan uh i like i think the i i think the photography on the show is absolutely spectacular i think some of the uh acting in some of the early episodes leaves a little bit to be desired but I don't watch new shows when I'm working on my show because I just well, watch, I just, I rewatch stuff that I've already seen. Why is that? Well, I'm st- studying actors that I like, but more often than not, I'm just trying to watch something that I find interesting that maybe I learned something from, but I also like the ability to turn my brain off when I'm so focused on, like I've got four scripts in front of me right now. My first day of shooting for heels is tomorrow. I've got a bunch of speeches and between my family exercise and this work, there's no room for anything else in my brain. Yeah. Like I, it's hundred percent of your energy is in those that, right? Yeah. Your family, g- give your me acting, a, your work. Yeah. Out. Give me a, give me a small book or give me a, you know, like my buddy, Phil, who's CM Punk in AEW, just let me know that they did a feature on him in Esquire magazine. And he talks a lot about why he walked away from wrestling, why he came back. He mentioned that I got this brief mention in the article, just insofar as he works on heels. Despite the fact that this guy's my friend, this took a lot of energy to sit down and give this article 14 minutes of my time because my brain is just packed to the brim. But when you, when well, I got a question for you. When you sure. like for me, if I when I have a a day, you know, like when I record podcasts, it's not digging ditches or anything. But mm-hmm. it does like I I can be you know, a couple hours worth of recording. Like I'm pretty worn out. Yeah, you know, like when you have a day of working, like are you, are you pretty spent when you come home? Because obviously the energy and the focus and just you know does it does it wear you out? It does. And that's an interesting thing. I heard you talk about this and being a little bit wiped out. And I don't think that people understand, just to toot your horn for a second here, how difficult it is to do what you do, which is effectively 
talk to yourself for the better part of an hour. It's not easy. It's really hard. No. Like, <laughs> and well, you, you just, have, you get, you, you get, you, like, I, it's not hard for me to do it anymore, but it definitely takes a lot out of me. But you, but you're That's performing. You're you're performing. Yeah. Like for example, if you were in the middle of recording something and someone walked into your apartment, even if they were invited, like you're probably like, hey, uh, maybe leave the room until I'm yeah, done. Be, my thing. I, 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 they couldn't sit there and watch. Right, mad. exactly. And the reason that is, and the reason that the the days on set really, really take it out of you and these aren't just days where like i'm filming a wrestling scene all day i'm talking like i'm sitting behind a desk or i'm shooting scenes in jack spade's office all day the reason that it takes it out of you is even if you don't have nerves like when they yell action and i'll get them a little bit tomorrow during the first couple of takes and then they'll go away every single time that first assistant director yells roll sound and the red light goes on and they slate, adrenaline is firing your body. Every time you hit the record button to record a segment, something happens in your body. Like there's a, there's a reaction and it's adrenaline. It's being released and it's endorphins. And at the end of the day, you're tired, period. Yeah, and I think the similar probably part is like you have to remember lines. Like I, I do mm-hmm. prep shows and do research about shows, so you're thinking of everything. And then mm-hmm. once you go, once the light comes on or you press play, I would say similar. Like I, I, I don't do this often, but if I ever do, like sometimes I'm not feeling it, you know. And you'll just do like that five minute. I'm like, I, I need to like kind of <laughs> gather myself and just delete it. But for the you know ninety percent of it, you're just kind of ready to go. You know, it's, again, th- we're all human beings, where you don't, you're not always going to be you know, on whatever you're doing, right? What's the longest that you've ever gone when you finally press stop and went, nope, got to start again? Yeah, it usually happens pretty quick. Like, I'm not yeah. I'm not doing, once I get 10 plus minutes in, I'm rocking and rolling. Now, I, I would say during the season, because you're talking about specific games or reacting, it's kind of mm-hmm. segmented. Now, it's like, I'm just, I'm kind of going for like 30, 40 minutes, like just different monologues of what's going on, hypotheticals mm-hmm. and it's just it's a it's a little bit different. It's a not easier, but they're they're definitely kind of different operations. Like it, it, it's it's easier to just Rams Niners play react to the game, right? Sure. I and mean, that's it's a little harder when there's you know Aaron Rodgers could go here or this. Like, what's my unique take going to be on it? And you know, you just also to me, it's pretty easy. Like I'm I'm pretty open, like just about my life and book. So it's it's easier to like yep. I can always talk about stuff, right? I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not afraid to share things that are going on in my life, right? You ever yank anything out of the podcast? You ever have any takes that probably might have, might have got you in trouble? Nah, no. But because I don't really care. Like, I mean, I, but again, I'm yeah. not trying to be that crazy with some of this stuff, but I'm not really worried. Like, I'm, I'm sure I've offended people before. Like, I, I can't be consumed with I that. I know, but it's know? difficult. It's difficult to get offended, but it's difficult to get offended by you because. A, you do move off a position if you feel like you're wrong, and and B, you're only you, you really just say what's in front of you. Like you, you sort of build everything out from look, guys. It just it just it's whether you win or not, win the game or not. Period. Nothing else matters. Yeah. And when you build everything out from that, it's difficult to get mad at anything that you're saying because you know even if you disagree, it's difficult to prove you wrong. 
because well, you know. one thing I one thing I honestly try to take a lot of pride in, like I'm not really looking to like look at this crazy take by this guy, and then I go viral and I kind of get <laughs> like a. Uh, 15 seconds of fame and maybe that show does huge numbers but then people realize this guy's just full of shit like I, <laughs> it, it might take a little bit longer for me to build where I want to go but people like this guy is fucking just this guy's a real dude you know yep. and that's that's what I take a lot of pride because I, I truly believe maybe it used to be a little bit different like you could, I, I think people our age and younger like they value just that you know it's not the BS like that that doesn't. I know as as a consumer myself, like I hate fake crap. I just, I just don't have the energy. Like like you said, you only have so much. I don't have the energy to consume it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you got to work harder. You got to work harder than you need to. It gets back to the whole. It's easier to be a nice guy than it is to be an asshole because you got to be an asshole all the time. Let's get you out of here on this one thing. I was going to ask you if you go on any interesting YouTube deep dives, but I gave you my YouTube deep dive. So that and chiropractic adjustment videos. The take care of the next month of your life it'll be good i do mu- i do music deep dive some- <clears throat> sometimes okay. <clears throat> you know like a band's catalog and then you know you, you look up interviews on the guy like i over the last couple of years for sure that's happened a lot like in the in the mm-hmm. I, I went through a big maybe it was just during covid like it was kind of negative vibes like a big grunge early mm-hmm. 90s mm-hmm. chris cornell nirvana mm-hmm. to yeah. just and just deep dives on the human beings and just they were a little bit before, you know, I was born in 84, but I listened to that yeah. music by the time, like the late nineties, early two thousands, like when I was in high school. And I, I just, I consumed that for like a year straight. Maybe it was just darker times and I, I loved it. That's and all great. the, a lot of those guys, you know, even like Lincoln park, I mean, a lot, they all died, right? Mm-hmm. They all had major issues, but, uh, I I've done huge deep dives on all those guys. Like the, anyone mid to early to mid nineties, like grunge to rock, rock, I've consumed a lot of their stuff on YouTube. That's cool. YouTube's great. Um, last last thing, you and I have always lined up on what a phenomenal transcendent, if you weren't there, it's difficult to explain, level athlete Tiger Woods was, is, but was when he was in his yeah. heyday. What's your favorite Tiger tournament to watch? Uh, I think in 2008, when he won the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines, and his yeah. he had a, uh, I think a broken kneecap, a torn ACL, and a ripped mm-hmm. MCL. I mean, it's just at the time, right? No eight. He had been enormous for over a decade. He was worth hundreds of millions of dollars. There's a scene in a documentary where Stevie Williams' caddy tells him, like, tells him to pull out of the tournament. He's like, "Bro, you, you, this is insane." Mm-hmm. And Tiger looked at him like, I think on Friday, like, or maybe it was Thursday, like. No, Steve, I'm winning this tournament. He's obviously from Southern California, but just those visuals of him reaching down, you know, to his ball. I mean, it's just uh, that that moment and that kind of Sunday, and then they had a basically him and Rocco had to play on Monday. Now the, the full, but they match, but they played the full they, eighteen holes. Well, that's on part Monday. of the U.S. Open. You know, you I don't know. do sudden death. You play a I full know. eighteen. And then so he's still he has to play an extra 18 holes on a knee that needs to be completely reconstructed. Now him coming winning it in 2019 at 44 yeah. years old cuz he was exponentially richer than he was a decade previously when he won with yeah. the bad knee. Everything that happened to him, you know, he had he had gone through so many back surgeries. And that moment of like after he wins it and he's walking off with Charlie, his son, and they're going through the fans. I mean, that's you, just, but you juxtapose that with him hugging his dad in 97. 
it's one of the coolest. Like to in my life, I you know there are Michael Jackson. You know there's Michael Jordan. I mean mm-hmm. Tiger Woods. These people became so famous pre-internet. Like it's yeah. you can get famous now at a yeah. you know different way with the internet. When you became the level of like especially sports wise Tiger or Michael pre-internet, like I don't think people quite comprehend their fame. Right? Yeah. If you're that famous in the '90s as just an athlete, international, and obviously basketball and golf, a lot different. Football is an international sport. So by the time like 2000 or 2001, you know, and the internet was kind of coming in. Tiger was so famous worldwide, You're right? So Not, you know his famous. name, and different than Michael. Like Michael's name is Michael. That's a pretty. This guy's name was Tiger. Look how sweet <laughs> that is. And the guy's a badass. It's a white sport. He's half black, half Thai. He has a unique look. And then by the time he was like mid twenties, he looks like a linebacker. He's yep. kicking everyone's ass. Yeah, he just doesn't care about anything but dominating. I mean, he's. I think he's one of the most unique figures in the history of my life. I mean, I, I, for people that for people that weren't around, look up the 2000 U.S. Open. Is at Pebble Beach, yeah. and I remember watching that final round, and I think he shot one or two under par in the final round, but he, he was minus fifteen, and the next closest person was plus two or. Plus three, and all these guys uh, are these these guys are grinding. Well, it was, on it was Ernie Beach. L. It was like Ernie L's and VJ Singh, and he's just, kicking yeah, their he's ass, killing them. <laughs> just and, and they, they, you know they're thirty. He's like twenty two. Yeah, I was listening to uh, his caddy uh, Stevie Williams, mm-hmm. you know Australian guy, is doing this podcast like through this Australian company, and it's basically just going like major by major, like their experiences. Mm-hmm. And one thing you realize is Tiger won. He won four straight majors. <laughs> You know, in yep. 2000, he won the three, and then he won the Masters in 21. He won back-to-back majors, that U.S. Open, and then he won the the Open Championship by a combined 22 strokes. He won that one by 15, and then he won the Open by eight. And, and he's not like 30. I mean, he's at the time, he's like 22 or 23 years old. Yeah. And his name's Tiger. It's one of the greatest <laughs> phenomenons we've ever seen. It'd be like... Whitney Houston or Eddie Murphy in another business. It'd be like, what? This is it's never happening again. Ever. You know, Eddie Eddie Murphy's actually kind of an interesting corollary to that because of uh, he was you know, he's 21, he's on SNL, he's so famous that he was hosting it. He's yeah. he's you know, he's in Beverly Hills Cop, he's the biggest movie star in the world. Like he's just he's more talented than everyone else. He's more just talented hilarious. than everyone else. Um yeah, man. Oh, whoops, sorry, that's my daughter. Hang on a second. I'll grab her in a second. All right. Well, listen, man. Good Tiger story. John, I really appreciate it. You can catch John on the 3 and Out podcast, the Golo podcast, uh, Haberman and Middlecoff, and all over the volume and the YouTube channel and all that stuff. You've got good combine takes out right now, getting into free agency. And um, who you got in the Masters this year? Well, who you got in the players this weekend? I, I just put a pretty big on uh, John Rom. I like John Rom to. I do too. To kick everyone's ass. Number one player in the world. He's just die. I think he's. I think he's coming for blood this year to to have like a Tiger. You know, four wins, maybe a major. The players, maybe a couple majors. Mm. I think he's going to have a huge year. Well, I'm hoping to get out to Augusta this year for the second time. Which oh. would be really, really exciting. Have you ever been? Never. I need to go. 
Sounds amazing. Well, I mean, you're, you're it's, it's, that's that, that that's the call. Hey, call. That's, that's, really that's, that's a goal of mine. The next three or four years, <laughs> they have a there chicken pimento sandwich or cheese pimento. What are they? Are they pretty good? Oh, I got to tell you, the no, they're, I got to tell you, they're absolutely revolting. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't. Oh, have they one. are. <laughs> they're not they're good. Ter- no, they're, they're terrible. <laughs> they're exactly what they. But sound aren't they like, like a dollar? Yeah, that's that's part of it too. You know what's not a dollar? Everything in the pro shop. That's not a dollar at all. They just what, make what is it like seven hundred dollars for a master's hat? Oh my god, it's incredibly <laughs> expensive. But and and last year when I went, they weren't able to ship stuff home. But the idea is that they've just they've gamed the system. You go early on a day, you go through the entire pro shop, and then you walk out and they just ship it. They just ship it home for you wherever you live. Is it weird walking in there without a phone? You haven't have a phone the whole day? Like how often it do you is, like hit in your pocket and realize you don't have a phone? You never do because once it's gone, it's it's gone. And I, I'm operating out of fear too because my buddy Adam that got me the badge tells me beforehand, yo, if you get kicked out for whatever reason, and I saw a guy get kicked out sitting behind 12T because he cheered when someone missed their putt on the 11th green. He just clapped. And I saw two marshals point him out. That guy's gone from Augusta forever, and the person that gave him the badge is also gone. They do. They do. Forever. They do not mess around. Huh? They don't mess. They don't. They don't mess around. And also, you know, the first time that you go, nobody tells you the rules. So I ended up getting a really nice seat behind twelve green, and I was nervous that I was going to make a mistake or clap at the wrong time or do something and get booted. But uh, no, Augusta, you don't miss your phone. Aren't you Aren't you allowed to like put your seat down, sit down, leave? Someone else can sit there, but when you come back, they have to give your seat back? Was that kind of the deal there? It's possible. I, it was really great. I got there early and I walked the course in reverse. Someone told me to, someone told me to do that. And all I wanted to see was Amen Corner. And I met this lovely guy, John, who works the fairway on 13. And then his son, Jonathan, came over and was chatting and he and his wife were fans of Arrow, and he saved me a seat right behind the twelfth green to watch the leaders in between, like a couple sets of members. And I remember they walked me past, like they walked me past, like Aaron Rodgers and oh god, who else was there? <laughs> Fitzmagic was there. Like it, it, was, it was so weird. I, I felt like that's felt awesome. Like it felt crazy. It was really really cool. Anyway, Augusta one day, maybe we can go together. Yeah, I'll I'll meet you there. All right, man. Well, listen, we really appreciate it and have a good one. Appreciate it, John. Yeah, good luck. Good luck shooting the show. Second season, baby. Keep it rolling. Thank you, man. Later, bro.